So right in the very beginning, Gary spoke about context is king. So if you take information in any context, whether it's the Bible or other, and you take it out of context, you're going to get conned. So he said, for example, some things we believe may not really have been true. For example, did the devil, Hasatan, when he fell, take a third of the angels from heaven? And all of us went, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, no, no, in the Bible does it say that. So firstly, we believe things that aren't really there. And then he used the word love. So we use words differently in different contexts. So we only have one word for love. I love ice cream and I love Ian. There's no real equation, you know. <laughs> but in the Greek, you get different words. So love, eros, romantic sexual love. You get phileo, which is friendship, which I have with Paul and many of you. And agape, which is God's love for us. So different words mean different things. And that's going to be important later on when we look at the meaning of words. And also use a word like trunk. If you're an American and I say trunk, you think the car boot, the trunk of the car. If you're an African, trunk means elephant trunk or tree trunk. And if you're a Brit, trunk could mean that chest that you put your dowry and your linen in. So different words have different meanings. And what we're wanting to do with the series, What God Wants, is we want to open your eyes to the supernatural realm. So it's going to take quite some time over the next few months. So that was Gary's first preach in terms of setting the foundation of what we were going to do. Um, then Louis spoke about, uh, in the second week, the validity and the veracity of the Bible. So if we're shaking your minds up a bit, are we a bit nervous that we don't understand this Bible that, we, that we've trusted for so long? And so she gave a brilliant um, teaching on where the Bible comes from, how many scrolls there are, all those contexts. And by the way, Gary and Louise did some, a series of three preachers, I can't remember if it was 20 or 21, on the validity of the Bible. So if that kind of thing bothers you, go and look those, script, those uh, preachers up in our library. Uh, and then last week, Gary spoke about uh, God's divine family, the Elohim. Uh, and he gave all sorts of scriptures, and one or two of them will come up again today. So God had a, um, a heavenly family in the unseen realm that are spiritual beings before he created earth. So what we're going to look at today, before we get there, he also mentioned, why is this fascination with the supernatural? So if you look at the multiverse and Marvel comics, We've got this fascination with other beings that come down and do different things, and I'm finished with Marvel. I said to you, and I don't want to do Marvel anymore. I want to go to Rosebank Nouveau and watch some human dramas, some real stuff, you know. So over the December holiday, we wanted to go to the movies three or four times, so I negotiated two of his movies and two of mine. So I had to sit through Avatar. It wasn't too bad. Then he wanted me to go see Black Adam or somebody, Wakanda, and I just said, no, I can't. I'm finished with that. My supernatural fascination is in God. Um, but the reason why is if you look at that scripture in Ecclesiastes 3, it talks about that God has set eternity in the human heart. So we want to be loved on earth in a way that kind of touches our flesh, but it is not so. I was talking to somebody this week, um, and all of us want to feel God near us and real, and, and I've been trying to do that for about 20 years until I realized that he does come in our realm, of course, and he does with God with skin on through other people, but Generally, we have to go into his realm. We have to go by faith into the spirit realm. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. So if Jesus says he loves me, he loves me, and he's here, irregardless. That last song we sang had a, a line that said, um, help me to know that you are near, and that's true. But the help that we need is we need to engage with him in our minds by faith. 
So, today we're going to look at the creation of Eden. What is it in terms of the geography and the purpose of Eden? What was Eden and what was its purpose? We're going to look at why God created humans. Remember, he had this heavenly family of spirit beings. Now he's got an earthly family of fleshly beings, right? And we're going to, we were made in the image of God. And we're going to look at what does that mean? How do I image God? What does it mean? What does it not mean? And what does it mean? And it's very revealing and very helpful. And then we're going to look at created to rule. So God tells us to rule and reign and go and populate the earth and do his stuffs. What does that mean? What does it look like? Even superheroes need a sip now and again. <laughs> um, so, to that end, I'm copying Gary. I've got, a couple, I've got three little videos from the Bible Project that are like 30 seconds each, and they say it better than I can. So, um, Rachel, if you wouldn't mind running the first one, please. separating the skies above from the land below. Right, this is Earth, where we live. And then there's the heavens, high above, which they saw as God's domain. But in the Bible, these spaces are not separate. They overlap. And in fact, the Garden of Eden is described throughout the Bible as a high mountain garden where heaven and Earth are one. Cool. So that's the world. Now it needs some creatures. So quite simple and straightforward. Top world, bottom world, but now these people needed to meet in between. So before we look at the creation of Eden, again, you know, if I say love or if I say trunk, if I say Garden of Eden, what do we think about? The first thing we think about is uh, Adam and Eve, those boys. And then we think about, oh, God put them there on purpose. Correct, correct, tick, tick. But it was also God's place where he lived. So he used to be in the heavens with these spiritual beings, but they're different. They're not human, and they're divine. And we made out of flesh and blood, and we eat food, but they, it's a different makeup, you know? So he, in order for him to meet with us and them at the same time, he created this place called Eden. And it's like God's home office where he has board meetings with the two of them. So the geography of it is that God planted an e a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man that he had formed. So the first point about the geography of Eden is that it's not the whole world. It was just a little plot. It's like a plot out of Chartwell. Uh, we are in Chartwell. It's, it's a... <laughs> It's a plot, like some of you guys live on. A plot as in land, not a plot to do something. <laughs> See, words. Plot, and you could plot to kill somebody. Different. So it was a little piece of land. And it was described by geographical markers. So if you read the scripture, now a river flowed out of Eden that watered the garden, and from there it diverged and became four branches. So the name of the first river was Pishon, and it went around this land called Havilah, and there was gold, etc. And then the name of the second river was Gihon, and that went around the land of Cush. And then there was a third river, Tigris, that starts becoming familiar. And it flowed east of Assyria, and the fourth river is the Euphrates. So it tells us, it's telling us that it was a specific place. So... The geography was he planted it with specific markers. There were four rivers around it, and it was planted in the east. So if it says it was planted in the east, then it must have been north, south, west, right? So it tells us it was a specific place. The part I love is that when they got kicked out, God set these big cherubims to guard the entrance. And I wonder where it is. Maybe it's somewhere, and uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark hasn't found it yet. 
You know, last week, Gary talked about what those cherubim looked like. They weren't little fat bodies with wings. They were those funny-looking creatures with the head of a lion. And, and those, on the Ark of the Covenant, if you've ever seen a picture, those cherubims are guarding that Ark. They were made in, in stone or gold or whatever. So they're guardians. You can imagine, I'd love to, some guy's tripsing along one day on Mount Everest and he finds a, a cherubim. So... Eden was not the whole earth, that's the point. And when Adam and Eve got kicked out, unless they went off to outer space, we have to concede that they went somewhere else in the earth. So that's enough about, the, about Eden in terms of its geography. And it's an intersection between the unseen and seen realms. That's a slide from the video we just saw. An intersection between the two realms. And God has a government in each of those realms, and it was designed that he would meet in his boardroom, his little home office, these days, because maybe he's also on load shedding. Not load shedding, on uh, lockdown. <laughs> so that's what it was. Eden typically is the intersection between two realms. So now, in terms of purpose, um, God's heavenly council would rule and reign up top as, as uh, his administrators, and we were going to ro- uh, rule and reign on the bottom. And it was a meeting place for the two families. And both realms were different, and they had different, I don't know if I'd like to swap, you know, we could go and play with galaxies and stars, but instead we were designed to rule over this planet. And what it's all about, as the previous slide is, as in heaven, so on earth. God wanted the ruling and reigning to be the same by different creatures, different styles. Now, as in heaven, so on earth is familiar to us. Sound familiar? It's the Lord's Prayer. May your kingdom come, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And again, context. So that was being quoted referring to this, but we see it through our 21st century lens, and we think it means something else, and maybe it does in uh, not you know, the last 2,000 years, but it was specifically referring to something there. And by the way, Jesus said, when his disciples asked him, he said, pray like this, not necessarily those exact words. His name was praised at the beginning. Then um, they asked what they wanted, and they closed with praise again. So it was like a model of how to pray. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So that was Eden, purpose and geography. So now, why did God create the humans? You think it was because he was lonely, or maybe he felt unfulfilled, or or maybe the heavenly beings just weren't cutting it for him. He fell out of love with them, you know? (laughs) No. It wasn't because he was lonely or incomplete. And by the way, he didn't need the other ones either. He didn't need the heavenly family, the divine beings, and he didn't need us. But he's a generous God. You know, we sang that song that Dale did for us, the coffee song. Uncreated one, you have no end and no beginning. He was the beginning, and he created these two sets of families just because he wanted to enjoy us. And he could have made us, and then kind of like kindergarten, you know, with those, you put your children or your dogs in like a playpen. He could have left us in the playpen and gone off and run his worlds anyway and come home every night for dinner and enjoyed us. But instead, he led us out of that. And he wanted us to rule and reign and create with him the same as the other beings. So this is the iconic scripture. Uh, and God said, let us make mankind in our image according to our likeness. And let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of heaven and over the cattle and all the earth. So God created humankind in his image and in his likeness. He created them male and female. He blessed them and he said to them, be fruitful and multiply, multiply, not fly, 
multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over everything. Let us make mankind in our image. So now who was he talking to? Not the Trinity, because Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Yahweh, Jesus, Messiah, and Holy Spirit are one. It's the same personality. So he couldn't know something that they didn't know, because they, they're him, right? So who's he speaking to? Let us make man in our image. He was announcing to his, his um, heavenly family, the divine council, the spiritual beings, he was saying, let us make man in our image. So it's like me saying after church, to giggles over here, um, Charmaine, let's go for pizza. I'm announcing it. We get in my car, I pay, and off we go, and I execute, and it's all on me. But I announce to her, and you can come to my friend Bron, let's go for pizza. I'll have to go to one of those two-for-one places. <laughs> uh, so only God created mankind. It wasn't, let us make man, them helping out. They are created beings just as we are. They don't have that kind of power. So he created us in his image, male and female. That's very important. Male and female, he created them. So the emphasis is that God announced it to the divine council. He wasn't talking to Trinity, and he created them, and it was in his image. Right? Later on, we're going to look at what image means. So what does created in the image of God mean? Again, we have perceptions that we've picked up as time goes by, and some of them are close but no cigar, and some of them are good. But first, let's look at what it, what it doesn't mean, right? Okay, so sorry, my scripture, God created mankind in his image. So it doesn't mean this, and you're all going to go, Skanda, <gasps> you're offending my mind again. It doesn't mean intelligence and emotions and reasoning ability. You can relax, I'm going to tell you why in a moment. It doesn't even mean the ability to commune with God. It doesn't mean self-awareness, which is sentience. So we call our animals, our pets, sentient beings. They're self-aware. My cat knows who feeds it. You know, he's self-aware, but he's not made in God's image. It doesn't even mean language and communication ability, and it doesn't mean the conscience and free will. Language and communication ability, I remember there was a gorilla called Coco. I don't remember Coco. It was maybe some of you are too young in the... 60s or something, this huge big gorilla. I think she was born and raised in captivity, and they taught her 3,000 words. She couldn't say them with her mouth, but she could recognize these words. And she loved TV, old Coco, and she loved watching a program called Mr. Rogers. It was an American show. And in this show, the Mr. Rogers actor would come home every day from work, and he would take his shoes off. It was part of the show. I never watched it. And years later, while she was still alive, the actor that played Mr. Rogers came to visit Coco. And Coco hugged him. And the first thing she did was take his shoes off. She went to take his shoes off. So there are human qualities in that. So it's not that list. Now, why isn't it that list? That list is, an, is a list of abilities and properties. But being made in the image of God is not about qualities and abilities and properties. It's a status and it's an identity. It's who we are. The minute you conceived in the womb, you carry the image of God. So a baby that's conceived in the womb doesn't communicate, doesn't have conscience, doesn't have free will, but it's still made in the image of God. So it's a status and an ability and not a status and an identity, not an ability. You can lose abilities, right? So if you're in a coma, 
all those, that list goes out the window. So are you not a human being anymore? You're not an image of God? Of course not. So that's why it's a status and an ability. And the other thing is that, as we know, certain animals, gorillas, um, dolphins, I swear, cats, cats for sure, have this ability to communicate, but they're not made in the image of God. And imagine if the artificial intelligence got to the stage where it could do things, and it is already, but it's not made in the image of God. So it can't have abilities and properties. God gives us those abilities and properties once we understand that we, it's our status and identity in order to carry out the imaging, and I'm going to tell you about imaging and representing him later, we're going to need some of those things, but that's not what defines it. So let me explain it like this. Again, the words, eh? like plot. The word in is a preposition. So we use them differently. If I say, I put the dishes in the sink, it's denoting location in the sink. If I say, uh, I broke the mirror in pieces, in is denoting the result of an action, broke the mirror in pieces. If I say I work in education, I work as a teacher. So I'm created in the image of God, I'm created as the image of God. That's what it's really denoting. So what does it really mean? It's about reflection. We reflect him. So we are images of God, we image him because of our status and identity. Just who we are, we image him. And I'm going to tell you what those qualities look like as we go along. We are God's representatives on earth, and because you're human, you image him. You're an imager. Every human from conception to death is an imager. This part really blew my mind when I was doing these studies, and I mentioned it, I think, in the pre-meeting. People that don't know Jesus and are not born again and haven't recognized Yahweh as creator God and Jesus as Savior and Holy Spirit as God and friend, they're also images they're also images of God. They're just not imaging him, and they're not reflecting him the way he wants to be reflected. And that's why often you'll see qualities and abilities and properties of those who don't know Jesus that are sound and good, because we all carry the image of God. And that blew me away a little bit. I was like, what? That's only us, you know? Not everybody. Even the baby in the womb, when it's an embryo stage, it's a human, even if it doesn't get born, if it's aborted or stillborn, it carried the image of God. It just didn't have fulfillment of that, right? Divine image-bearing. So that's what it's not, because it's a status and an identity, not an ability and a property. Those abilities and properties, God gives them to us in order to fulfill being a representative of him, right? So let's look at what the Bible says about what is it then to be a divine image-bearer. Human beings are distinct, which we've just said. So it's not animals, not plants, human beings. We're distinct. Male and female, he created them. So both male and female, equally imaging, amount of different roles, different physical makeup, but we both carry the image of God fully. We're distinct from plants and animals. And as I said, there is something about the image that makes of humankind like God in some way. So free will, creativity, but that isn't the definition of it. He made us in his image and in his likeness. So we carry kind of who he is. You'll see later when we, I talk about the reflection of him. And there's nothing in the text to suggest that it's bestowed incrementally or partially. So a, a child is born in the womb when an egg and a sperm get together, humankind. So that, it's not an image. It's only when it gets born, then, then it's a human. No, right there at inception, when it's still a zygote 
nice word, I looked it up, zygote, an embryo, from that point, <laughs> that's when the baby's an image. That's when humankind's an image. Because think about it, the baby in the womb, it's not, it doesn't have intelligence, doesn't have rational thought processes, doesn't have emotions, unless you've seen that little video where two little guys talk in the womb, you know, have you seen it? And they, I'm sure there's a mother, I'm sure I can hear her sometimes, like, don't be silly, man, we can't even walk, there's two twins in the womb, you know. No, there's a God in heaven, there's a mother out there. He's, I can feel I'm being fed by her. It gives you the understanding of what we feel like, you know. No, there's no God, you know. There was a mother, and there's a God. So the point is, we're not potentially a human and not incrementally a human. You're human from inception, from conception, you're a human being. Divine image bearers. Rachel, can you do my NT right video, please? The picture I often use to help people understand what Genesis means by the image of God, and indeed what um, Paul means by the image of God, because he uses that as well, um, is the image of an angled mirror. We often think of an image as being a mirror. Here's a mirror. I'm looking at it. I'm seeing it myself. But supposing we have an angled mirror. I remember when I was a small boy um, being ill in bed and uh, uh, my mother lined up a mirror in the doorway of my room so that through that mirror I could see her and other family members coming and going in the hallway outside my room so that I didn't feel so isolated and alone. And the point about the angled mirror is that you can see in both directions. And uh, it seems to me that God has put humans like an angled mirror in his world so that God can reflect his love and care and stewardship of the world through humans and so that the rest of the world can praise the creator through humans. And the way this comes out in many biblical passages is to see God's people. You get this in Exodus 19, you get it in the book of Revelation, you get it actually in Paul as well. See God's people as uh, the royal priesthood, the priesthood because they are summing up the praises of creation, presenting it before God. So when, when humans praise God, they ought to realize that they are doing so as the representatives of the whole world, reflecting the rest of the world to God. But when humans are looking after creation and bringing God's healing, restorative justice to creation in all sorts of different ways, there they are reflecting God into the world. So that the image of God is not, I think, something about us, our memory or our conscience or our imagination or our spirituality or our reason. Or, theologians have tried all that as though there was something about us which is exactly like God. No doubt a lot of that is true, but I think it's a much more creative, much more uh, dynamic picture. Um, the, the priests and the kings or kings and queens uh, reflecting God to the world and the world to God. And I see the, the human vocation and the Christian vocation as being to recover, to recapture that image. Paul talks in Colossians about being renewed in knowledge according to the image of the creator. And it seems to me if we actually looked at our own vocation vis-a-vis -vis the world like that, all sorts of things about how we treat the world, how we act responsibly within it, would uh, appear in quite a different light, which could be very healthy. 
marvelous theologian, hey? Still alive. I liked what he said about it's a two-way mirror. God reflects down through us, and the, when we worship him, especially corporately, but certainly by ourselves in our bedrooms, in our homes, in our cars, we reflect mankind, and God goes, he hears the praises of mankind, two-way mirror. I went and looked up, he referred to um, Colossians, and I went and looked it up, Colossians 3.10, and it says, we have put on the new self and are renewed in knowledge according to the image and likeness of our creator. I mean, that's a chunk of words, eh? We are renewed in knowledge according to the image and likeness of our creator. So if we put on the new self and we get knowledge of who God is, then we outwork and outlive the image and, and likeness of the creator better because of understanding. So we put on the new self like some of your friends' name that you did to Jesus last week. Andre. Andre has put on the new man in Christ. Now he starts to read the word of God. He gains knowledge about who God is. And then he reflects the image and likeness of the creator because of putting on the new self and gaining the knowledge. I thought that was a, such a powerful scripture in Colossians 3.10. So we reflect him and we carry his likeness to the world. So that's made in his image, right? Now let's look at created to rule and reign. As we said, God's agenda is played out in both realms. And we are created to enjoy God to enjoy us and for us to serve him in his presence and heaven and earth intersected, right? So we are created to rule and reign. So we're basically God's administration on earth. Now, if you think about it like this, it's how it was supposed to be, and it still is, but it looks different. Because after the fall, it was different. So next week and the week after, the fall and free will and evil and who, you know, all that stuff is going to be dealt with. So although it looks different to the original design, we're still carrying this... this um, mandate to rule and reign. And, you know, I always thought ruling and reigning was naming, claiming, declaring things to happen. It's actually not. It's just reflecting who he is. It's just representing him. And I'm going to show you in a moment what that looks like. How do we do that in our lives on a daily basis? We represent him daily. This has started to change my mind. It's ruined my life. <laughs> you know, you can't just go along and do your own thing all the time. I go along and, and somebody cuts in front of me and I go, image of God. He's just like me. We were driving here today, and everywhere I just see images of God. Now, I pass a woman sitting on the side of the road with children, and there were some youngsters on the back of a bucky, and I, start, I find myself praying for these people instead of getting cross, because they're made in the image of God. So as he talked about, our vocation is to serve Jesus. It doesn't matter what you do for a living in terms of your money source of income. So just to give you that scripture again, God created humankind in his image and in the, the image, so with the representative reflection and in the likeness of God, he created it. So in the likeness, he gave us some of his attributes. So he did give us creativity and wisdom, etc. but that's not what defines us. It's our status and ability, status and identity. It's not an ability. Be fruitful and multiply, uh, fill the earth and subdue it. I think in the Edenic, Edenic mandate, that was go make babies and let's get more humans out there. <laughs> was part of it, uh, but fill the earth, fill the earth with what? With his goodness, with his way of life, of his kingdom, because you know, theologians call it the kingdom of God on earth, the kingdom is very near. Do you know that you and I that serve Jesus and follow Jesus and are discipled by him are living in eternity already? So I've been praying for Michael Hauser this last week, 
And as you know, he's terminally ill. I think we would have heard if he died already, he's got pancreatic cancer and it's days or weeks. And every day I pray for him and his wife, I think you pronounce it Drenna, but he knows he's going, you know. And he, he's got one foot in eternity and one foot here. Last night as I went to bed, again, I prayed for him. I said, Jesus, if there's any way, can Drenna have him for another 20 years? But can we also have him for another 20 years, you know? If there's any way, nothing is impossible for you. Nothing is too hard for you, Jeremiah 33. You are the God of the impossible, uncreated one. If there's any way, me and thousands of other believers worldwide, please touch Michael. But if not, he's stepping into eternity. And that changes the way you live. From when you get born, again, you put on the new man. We are ready, walking in eternity. We are divine beings, almost already. Somebody said to me, are we uh, spiritual beings having a, a physical experience or are we physical beings having a spiritual experience? I'm not sure which way it is, but I'm in Christ. My life is hid in God with Christ. So we created to rule and reign. Ray, my other one-minute video, please. It's the last video, I promise. Now let's go back, because after God appointed the heavenly host, he also appointed another type of creature. The humans. Yeah, in Hebrew they're called Adam, which sounds like the Hebrew word for dirt, because that's what they're made of. So, glorious rulers above, and hairy sapiens below. But then comes the great twist. God tells the lowly humans that they are to rule all of creation. He invites them to rise above their dirty origins and share in God's glory as his partners. So God wants to rule the world through humans and not the spiritual beings. Exactly. This is how the poet of Psalm 8 understood the stories of Genesis. He looked up at the stars and says, What is humanity that you consider him? You made him lower than the spiritual beings, but crowned him with glory and divine majesty. This is humanity's high calling, to rule creation in the love and power of God. This is humanity's high calling to rule creation in the love and power of God. Man, I don't know about you, but that just ignites a fire in me. So it's not about declaring things and causing governments to fall. And it's about carrying his love and his nature and his image and his likeness to people around us. When more people come to Christ, the governments, etc., will change. So we rule by representing him. We rule by representing him. That's also changed my life. I wanted it to be the other way, and I've got to be a nice person every day of my life, and it's quite hard. So I keep going to Jesus and saying, come and take the stone heart out of me and put the, the new heart inside me like you said you would, because otherwise I can't do this. I'm reading a book by Peter Scazzaro on discipleship, and he's got a whole chapter on making love the mark of maturity. I'm like, oh, no, I thought I was mature as a believer and a human being. Clearly, clearly not. So it's all about love and reflecting Jesus. That's how we rule. That's how we carry his image, by representing him. And how do we represent him? The relationship between us and God, before and after the fall, it looks different. It's a genuine, meaningful participation. So we have to, every day, put God center in our lives. That's why I have a devotion every day, and I have for decades. In the morning when I get up, coffee, cats, garden, if it's not winter, Talk to Jesus, because I need to hear his heart and his mind. He's not a lens I look through. Jesus is not a lens I look through. He's not my life coach. He is my life. I don't just look through him, you know? He doesn't come to coach me. I'm on his team. He's not on my team. So 
So how do we do it just to land? What does it look like on a daily basis? As it said in Colossians 3, put on the new man, you gain knowledge of God, and then you image him because of the knowledge. But you first have to be a new creation. So if there's anybody here today who is an imager of God, but hasn't yet acknowledged Yahweh as creator, uncreated one, you have no end and no beginning, as Dale's coffee song. You're an imager of God, for sure, even if, you, if you're not born again, if you haven't come into... People often say to me, oh, God loves everybody. Yep, he does. He loves everybody, but they're not all his children. You've got to be born again. You've got to come into Christ, because Jesus fixed, to use an undoctrinal word, <laughs> what happened with the fall. And we're going to get to that in the weeks to come. So it's through Christ that we get, they were kicked out the garden, we kind of get back in, if you know what I mean, through Jesus. So if you don't know Jesus today, and you want to, later on I'm going to give opportunity for you to express that. So if we live consciously as though our lives represent God, and we understand that on a daily basis changes everything, <laughs> I have to get used to living a new way. We consciously think of ourselves as God's agents. You know, the decisions we make matter as believers. We can't live like the world did. The whole of the New Testament is uh, our imperatives that tell us, guys, live this way. Put on the new self. Put off the old man. It doesn't just happen, you know, by glory. We've got to decide. So the, the decisions we make make a difference. We have to spread the goodness of God. That's what it means to represent it. That's what it means to be an imager. Racism has no place in God's world. Neither does injustice. So power at home, work, government, abuse of power is all ungodly. But I'm not sure that being an imager and ruling and reigning means wagging my finger in the face of the governments of the world. Certainly we must pray. I believe you get the government you deserve. For sure, we must pray and seek God's face. But it's not primarily about that. That's probably a secondary approach to life. And God doesn't view people in ministry better than us. N.T. Wright spoke about our vocation. So you might be a businessman, you might be a gardener, you might be a domestic worker, a teacher, whatever you do in life. You might be like me, I've stopped working, I've transitioned into a different season in my life, and I, I just use my energy and my skills and my focus differently. My pace of life is different. So whatever you do, your vocation is to carry Christ. I remember I had a friend once that told me that uh, they had a, a, a teenage daughter who couldn't get into what they wanted to do the first year. It might have been the beginning of lockdown. And the daughter said to the mother, what am I going to do next year? And the mother said, it doesn't matter what you do. Whether you go to varsity or not, you're going to carry Jesus. You're going to image Jesus wherever you go. And I thought that was so profound. It was like, wowzer. You know? And that's exactly it, vocation. So we've talked about Eden. It's geography, it's purpose. Why was man created? Because God wants to enjoy us and live with us forever. I can't wait. But I'm trying to live like that now, even though it's obscured with the fallen man's status. I'm more and more living like as if I'm in eternity now. And then we looked at what does it mean to be an image of God and what does it not mean? And how do we carry that image? There's a whole lot of stuff. And when I was preparing this, I phoned Louise and I said, you mean I have to just speak about that? There's so much more fun going on. I mean, there's a talking snake and there's cherubims with flaming swords guarding the garden and the whole thing, you know. But that's going to come on later. So if you want to find out more about it going forward, don't miss a session. There's so many wonderful things. 
just an interesting one that I thought about this morning was that in the garden, God walked with them, right? And he lived with them. And then when they got kicked out the garden, God had to go and live in a tabernacle. So we're going to deal with that later, you know, with the Israelites. And everywhere they went, they carried the presence of God with them in this holy place. And you know what the incredibly mind-blowing thing is now? When you're a believer, he lives inside of us. He tabernacles inside of us. The power and presence of God lives in me and you. I mean, we should have little fires on our heads just everywhere we go, you know. But because of free will, we have to engage with God. So throughout this whole process, we hope that, uh, I know the heart of eldership is to give you information for sure and teach you some of the principles as we go along, and it's long and wonderful. I can't wait. I've read some of the books. But it's up to us to decide what we're going to do with it, how we're going to live. 